Hello, and welcome to the Rad Dad Show, a podcast by dads for dads. I'm your host, Rob Schilt, joined by my co-host, Salvatore Minervini. What's up? So this episode, we actually changed the script from what we had planned when we laid this out weeks ago, months ago. We're actually going to talk about the impact of COVID onto the upcoming school year. This is a big topic for all you parents out there, and it impacts Sal and I just like it does everyone else. So we want to talk about it. We want to give our opinions, and they are not going to be muted. Right, Sal? So That's Sal's going to give his unbiased, very unpolitical opinion. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll see how this goes. It shall be entertaining. We will also give you a dad lesson. Every episode, we will bring them to you. Don't forget about the bourbon uh, review. And last but not least, our bourbon review. This week's bourbon is Blade & Bow by Stitzel Weller. So we will talk about Blade & Bow later in the episode. But for right now, Sal, what do you think of this current fucking situation that is ongoing in this country? But I'm very curious of what you think upcoming school year look like. Oh, wait, you want to know what I think what the school year should look like? I think everybody should go back to school. The kids need it. The kids absolutely need it. I mean, just for everybody listening, our governor has placed the onus on every district in New Jersey. They are going to make the call on whether or not there is school in person or virtual. Our particular school district has given us the opportunity to choose whether we want our children to go to school or uh, completely virtual. Now, going to school, we chose the option of going to school. My oldest daughter goes to school two half days. Two, they, they cram nine periods. Yes, you heard that right. Nine periods between 8 o'clock in the morning to 12.40 p.m. This is the oldest, correct? That's the oldest, middle school. Middle school, right? What the hell are they going to learn in two half days of school? In essence... So hold on. She's only going to school two half days for the whole week? Yes. And she's got the PM session. That's interesting. So what do the, the younger two have? They also have the PM session from 12 to 3. So it's... Okay. it's I really don't know what to make of this. Uh, there was a big uh, Board of Education meeting tonight uh, where they were... Parents, you know, express their concern, some anger, and I, I totally get it. It depends on what you what you listen to or who you listen to, where you get your information from. Everything is, you know, not very clear. There's not a clear picture painted. I think the one thing that came out of the Board of Ed meeting, at least in our in our district, and I'm sure these meetings are going on with every small town, every large town, every large city that out there, is that the one gentleman who talked and I'm not going to name names and I don't even remember his name Little pretty Johnny. much went through and said that we haven't had a death since May in our town and we have a town of approximately 10,000 people and we really haven't had any cases recently of COVID so why would we think based on statistics alone that sending the kids back to school would impact or increase that outbreak at least in our town now, there's other towns. I think the situation is is obviously different and, and more dire in other districts and other towns. But within our small town, and obviously 10,000 people in a, in a town of 10, two and a half square miles, it is small. How do we think that's really going to play out? Now, I will caveat and say, listen, if we truly felt, if people truly felt that there was a risk to, to the kids of this community, 
the kids wouldn't be going back to school. I don't give a shit what anybody says. If we felt as parents that there was a risk, we wouldn't send our kids there. But I think what's going on in this district really is not going to end up resulting in an outbreak unless people aren't observing to the social distancing guidelines. And I know at least in our school, and we've talked about the principal of the elementary school my sons attend, great guy. He even said in, we were in a meeting, he's going to do what is in the best interest of these kids. And I truly believe that. He has 30 years experience. He knows better than we do. You know, how are they going to keep these things clean? How are they going to transition? This is all new for everybody, but he's going to do his damnedest to make sure that, that schools are set up to address the concerns of parents and that the kids can be taught in a manner. Because as was summarized, so I listened to the board of ed meeting for about probably five minutes. The things I caught were the statistics that one gentleman spouted out. The other thing is when they were talking about how much of a disaster spring was with remote learning. So I thought maybe it was just my family because we had a hard time and I'm not taking any credit for any of the teaching. It was 99% my wife. The 1% was me relieving her and giving her a break for five minutes, but she did most of the teaching. It's tough with two kids. I couldn't imagine with three kids and with bigger families or more diverse families, meaning kids in high school, elementary school. And, you know, it's all, it's all new to us, but it's 2020. Should there already be a program that allows for remote learning? I, I'm going to, I'm going to say yes. Look, everybody was caught with their pants down. They weren't prepared for this. They weren't expecting this. So I'm going to have to, uh, somewhat agree with the gentleman that said that the spring virtual session was pretty disastrous. It's because nobody was prepared. Nobody was going to expect this. You had to drop, you had to drop everything from in-school or on-site learning. So, oh my God, now I got I got to try and develop some slides and, and and figure this out virtually. I understand. I get it. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not bashing the teachers because they, they weren't used to it. People that 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 teach virtually probably go through years of training to, to teach well, virtually. I mean, also, in, listen, I did my MBA, not an executive MBA, an, an MBA, and a lot of it was remote learning just because of the program I was in. And there was a lot of distance learning, but there wasn't a lot of video chat or video communication through that distance learning. It was more through, I can't remember the, the tool, maybe Blackboard, Whiteboard, something like that where you would load all, you got all your assignments through there, you would download them. But when you're in college or going for a master's degree, you're much more aware of everything that's going on. You're able to read, you're able to kind of self-learn, self-teach, read through the chapters, understand it. These kids who are in kindergarten, first grade, are, remember, they're just learning. They're just learning how to read. They're just learning their alphabets. They're learning the sounds. God forbid you have a son or a daughter who has a speech impediment or a disability or speech delay as my son does. So all that comes into play. And for those kids, it's even more, it's more difficult. So not only the normal 95% of the general population who is impacted, it's tough on. And, and listen, I don't think you can blame it on just the teachers, right? While there wasn't a program in place, everybody was not prepared for this. Honestly, it's 2020, the technology is there. It, should have been it was somewhat in place because they did a good enough transition to move to a virtual classroom that allowed us to transition as quickly as we did now was it implemented effectively and efficiently 
Probably not because the, the guardrails weren't yet there, but the, the, the framework, the underlying technology was there to, to make this happen. It's just a new way of teaching and a new way of learning for these parents, these kids, these teachers, the principals, the administrators. It's something that has to be addressed. The other thing is you had parents who are working full-time jobs and teaching their kids full-time. It doesn't work. Something's yeah. going to give. So was it the kids' education or was it going to be, you know, your job? And at the end of the day, a lot of times it's not the job that's going to suffer. It's going to be the kids who suffer. Mom and dad are going to read it, get up early at 8 o'clock, say, hey, you have to do this. Give it to the kids. The kids would do it, come back, check it, do it again. A whole lot of screaming and yelling at everybody's houses. It's just going to be, uh, you know, spring session 2.0. You're going to, especially working parents that, that have the ability to work from home, parents are going to be in a meeting or in the middle in the middle of something critical that's got to get in and you're going to have your child you know at your shoulder poking you I need help I need help I need help and there's going to be it's it's tough it's it's not going to be easy you know I I've been hearing uh it started in Florida the Florida Teachers Union has sued the governor of Florida saying that it is um <clears throat> it's not safe they haven't taken the right uh, proper precautions to keep the teachers safe for opening the schools. It made its way up this way. Uh, I haven't seen any lawsuits yet, but there's gonna be a lot of pushback from the teachers unions. And I get it, I understand teachers are scared. People are going shopping, food shopping, they're staying safe. I feel that it could be done. Come up with a proper plan, socially distance, kids wearing masks, it can be done. I think one of the toughest things is gonna be the kids wearing masks all day. I think it's so difficult for a six-year-old, a seven-year-old to actually hold on and keep a mask on all day, it's unreal. I can't see a six-year-old keeping that mask on throughout the day and not trying to take it off and not saying, hey, it hurts my ears, not saying, hey, I need I need a break. You know, I know it happens to me too. So I, I don't see how a small child who fully understands what's going on, if you could believe that, a six-year-old understands that, hey, we're in a trying time. You have to take precautions. You have to wash your hands. Washing their hands is, is like a chore. And now it's, it's even more important. It's always been important, right, for the germs. But now it's even more important to ensure that they stop the spread of this, of this virus. And the expectation is that they're going to wash their hands. They're going to sing whatever washing your hands song or the alphabet song to make sure that they wash their hands for a substantial uh, duration. And then they have to wear a mask all day while trying to learn or speak or read or i remember when we were in school and this is like going back is you, you'd read in front of your class so how are they going to read in front of the class with it when they have this mask over their face and they can't even muffle them how do you understand that Sal? you understand me so I, it's definitely going to be a trying time for everyone i think even when you go back to in class and i believe me i agree the kids should be going back if i felt there was any risk to my child i would hold them home my wife would probably infuriated and nuts because she's not doing <laughs> the teaching. But at the same time, I think my kids are going to get the most out of their education by going back to school. And I think, and I believe that the spring session did not prepare them for anything in the next year. I think most of these kids are going to be behind for the current curriculum of their upcoming year. I feel like most, most kids will, and they're going to have to catch up. The third years, correct me if I'm wrong, Sal, because this is my first child going into fourth. But I believe in third grade, they start statewide testing, don't they? Park testing, yes. 
Yeah, so they didn't have that this year. No. So what happens at the end of this year? Are the fourth graders going to have to – I assume they'll have to take it as long as everyone's back full-time, but how does that all pan out? And will these kids even be prepared to take it? Will it be the worst test scores? I don't know. I'm just there's, saying there, There's no way they're going to reintroduce the park testing. They're, they're, they won't reintroduce it until, until we get back to normalcy. And I think this whole virtual thing is a great concept for eighth grade and beyond. Seventh grade, maybe sixth grade, no, and anything lower, you forget about it. Well, let me ask you this: Could this be the spark that changes the education system? And what I mean by this today, we have very expensive private universities in the United States. If the end of middle school and high school goes to a part partial virtual sessions, what does that do to colleges? Because colleges are while they're not virtual, you, you end up spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on these private universities that aren't even Ivy League schools. So how does this all pan out at the end? What does it end? And does it finally put the spark to the education system to be like, hey, we have to get real. You know, everyone's talking about diversity and, and equality and all that stuff right now. How is it equal to charge out 70 grand for a private education that's not an Ivy League school or on a Stanford level, right? I'm not even even talking about Ivy League schools because I'm not saying they should be cost that much, but the name alone, the the prestige warrants that that top dollar. And that's what they're banking on. I mean, I saw the other day Rutgers is going all virtual this semester. But here's the thing. So there's twofold, right? The upcoming, the seniors, the juniors in high school, the sophomores, we'll end up losing out in that college experience. And I think in my perspective, the college experience was amazing. But is that college experience dead? Depends on how long this, this uh, drags on for. Uh, as of right now, college experience is dead. I read an article right before we got on that said a college, and I believe it's in Georgia, it's great because I'm a huge Georgia fan, but it wasn't University of Georgia. I think it was University of Northern Georgia or something like that. They actually threw this huge party prior to school opening ignoring all the COVID rules. Am I surprised that that happened? No, I'm not surprised by any means. Because when you're 20, when you're 19, when you're 20, 21, 18 in some cases, I think you're invincible. Like, let's be honest. There's probably plenty of stupid things we did when we were in our early 20s, when we were in college. You know, right now, if we did it in this current environment, it would be ridiculous. If I put myself in those kids' shoes, what have I really thought about COVID and taking it seriously? I don't know. I That wasn't there when we were that age. Hopefully I would have, but... I wouldn't bet on it. Teenagers, they're not taking this serious. They're, they're going out partying every weekend. They were, a few months ago, they were having uh, what they called COVID parties. They wanted to see if anybody would, uh, would uh, contract the disease. But That's scary. It I is, mean, they're, they're the ones who are going to generate the antibodies in a lot of cases, but it's still scary. I wouldn't put myself at that risk. No. It's, but like you said, when you're that age, you think you're invisible, and you can do anything and say anything, and you're resilient. You bounce back. But this whole thing with the kids going back to school, I mean, like I said before, we had the uh, option of full virtual or or partial. I, I don't think this is the, the tonight's Board of Ed meeting. I don't think it's the last of it. I, I think there's more to come. I personally, I don't think the kids are going back to school. That's my personal opinion. As much as uh, I would love for them to go back to school because they need that interaction that face-to-face time with the teachers. They need the socializing with the friends. I don't think that it's going to happen. And the people that are going to suffer are, are, are the kids. Kids 
kindergarten to seventh grade are going to suffer. And there, everybody's already a year behind. And I know, at least with my younger son, a lot of his, a lot of the things he needs are around the social interactions. And without actually going to school, he doesn't have that interaction. How is he getting it? You know, you don't even want to do, you know, nowadays we do play dates because people can't go down the block. Or freaking wait, 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 wait. As they get older, it's called hangouts. I've been told for my kids that it's no longer <laughs> play dates. We don't have play dates. We have hangouts. Uh, okay. I told my son, get out of Sorry. the park, around the block. <laughs> I've literally, we've, we have now instituted, and I, and we talked about this in our episodes. He has a bike. He can navigate. He has a, one of those, what is it? Gizmo watches. Take your watch, get on your bike, go knock on your friend's door. I don't care. I know it's not the thing to do these days, but he wants to ride up to Dunkin' Donuts and get a culotta. That's his whole thing. He wants to go to Dunkin' Donuts and just get a culotta. So I said, go, go ask your friends to come with you. Go, go bike riding. Nice. That's gotta be. Some parents are okay with it. Some aren't. Some are, they don't want their kids to go out by themselves. And I'm like, listen, when I was nine, 10, no, nine, I went to sleepaway camp. Yeah. Wow, sleepaway camp. I wish everybody listening could see could see my face. Yeah, he, he looks shocked. So we went to sleepaway you know what? camp. We were Rob, nine. That that does explain a lot now. From ten to fifteen, I went to sleepaway camp in Pennsylvania, a co-ed camp, and just pretty much did that every summer. It was amazing. But that's you know, from from my perspective, you have kids who are nine years old who can't even get on their bike and ride around town. It's not like we're in a big town. Listen, I, I'm all for giving my son as much independence as, as he can handle. And it's, it's so coming at this point. But I'm probably going to miss it when it's not, when it actually happens. Yeah. I, I don't understand what the school district is going to do with the, the kids like your son who need that additional help, who need that extra time with the teachers. So what I understand is that since those classes are smaller, they have different roles that go into effect so because especially in the in the school we're in that that side of town that school that new building they built allows them for that separation i think the normal classroom is about 20 something kids give or take my son's class is 10 at most so they can separate out and do social distancing effectively with with so little kids in a classroom because each one of those kids gets exactly but i think it's one full-time teacher and two aides because oh wow yeah, because some of the kids need more attention than right. my son. My son also has, I don't know, a whole separation anxiety piece going on due to, I think it's because we didn't send him to daycare prior to school, but I also think it has something to do with his inability to speak up until two years ago. So he was really, really late. And even when he spoke, it was a lot to get there. And you can still see signs of it. And he's very, there's a confidence layer to that too, that we're trying to build out or those teachers are trying to build out. So have you started, um, especially with your young one, having him put a mask on for a long period of time just to get used to it? No, we haven't done that, but we pretty much anytime we go out, they're wearing masks. If we leave the car, they're wearing masks. Uh, So so your kids are used to it. Yeah. At this point, I, I think they're aware of it. They don't love it, but we don't go around the house wearing masks. It's just not, it, it wouldn't work. Everybody at dinner time, we put masks on to make it a little challenging and fun. <laughs> uh, you got to make it fun. But yeah. um, in my humble opinion, I don't think we're going back in, uh, in two weeks or three weeks, whatever it is. So how would that work? 
it's maintained by the district. So if there's a change to the directive that's given, it would come from the BOE or it'd become from the superintendent? The, the BOE and the superintendent are the same, in the same okay. bodies. So I, I he just- sits on that? Yes. All right. Yeah, he's, he's there. So I don't understand how, like, when this whole thing started, a lot of companies gave their employees leniency. Hey, because a lot of companies are still closed and they haven't opened their offices. I know my wife's office hasn't opened yet. What happens to people that have to go back to the office and their kids, you know, have these AM or PM sessions? So that they're, they're, they're home three days a week in school, two days a week. Well, what the hell happens there? I mean, you guys are lucky, but think about it if you didn't have that extra help at home. Right, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. The, the people that, that, that aren't as fortunate as I am, I, I mean, everybody listening, my mother-in-law lives with me. People who aren't as fortunate as I am to have someone here to help uh, on a daily basis, how does that work? You know, it, that, that adds another layer of stress and anxiety because, you know, your company that you work for is expecting you in the office. Yeah. Are they going are they going to be compassionate or sympathetic that you know this whole covid thing and and you got to be home 3 days a week? And I don't even know how most companies are doing it either. I know some of the tech companies are so Facebook, Google, Atlassian, so if you don't know them they're Who's that? They have a product called Jira which is a like task management. They mandated they're effectively work from home for the foreseeable future. And the thing that I think that changes too, is if a company says, hey, we're work from home, that also changes your hiring strategy. You're no longer, <laughs> nice glasses. You're no longer restricted to your general area. So I'll put together rubber bands or something. <laughs> it's definitely gonna change how companies hire the ability to telecommute from anywhere in the world to do a job. If it's work from home and your company is based in Austin, it doesn't mean you have to restrict it to the, the States. You could, right. No, sure. There's a good developer in Brazil. You'll hire that person in Brazil or a good developer in Sweden or wherever, just spouting out countries. They're going to hire them. So will companies take advantage of that? Probably, possibly. I have no idea, but I think from that perspective, for, for a company to have that empathy, I don't know if it's going to be there because it's going to be tough. And I think a lot of families are going to have to make tough decisions. Can two parents actually work simultaneously? Or is there going to be one parent who has to take advantage, take the lead over the other one? I can't answer that. I think it's different for each family. But I think a lot of families are in a situation where they need both incomes to support their lifestyle. If it, if it comes to a lifestyle, like, I mean, if, you, if you're living a lifestyle that, does, that requires two incomes, then I think you really need to adjust your lifestyle, uh, especially when it comes to this point in our lives where we're going to be, in essence, I don't want to call it homeschooling, but having to be here with our kids as they're taking virtual classes and there may be hard decisions that need to be made for, for both parents that work. One might have to say, I'm going to have to resign. You know, my kid's home three days a week on the computer. How, how am I going to effectively work with, at my office, which you, where you want me to be, and then my kid being home? 
there's going to be a lot of hard decisions that are going to be made within the next four to six weeks, depending on what happens. If they go, yeah, that's, if they go full virtual and companies start opening up and bringing back people to the offices, it, it's, it's not going to be a pretty situation. No, but I think there's going to be enough opportunity out there for people to work for companies who will honor the remote work. I, I think to your point, yes, there's going to be companies who won't honor it, but I also think some companies you may be able to work out with your, your supervisor, some sort of agreement that, Hey, listen, I need this amount of time to work from home. I need, you know, I need this flexibility. Not all companies are built that way. And as of now, but I think companies have to be more malleable in the future because the reality is you're just going to start losing personnel. And the other thing is say, you know, at the end of the day, your wife says, listen, between the two of us, you have to quit your job. You have to stay home with the parent, with the kid. The people who succeed you are also going to look for a work from home type of style or a partial work from home. Because at the end of the day, that's going to be the future. There was already companies that were going from work from home at least one day a week. And pretty much every company I've worked at throughout my career, you've had one or two days work from home. But I'm also more in the IT or world where that was a little bit more advanced than some of the other companies. Yeah, I never had that luxury or opportunity. Well, you but have a much different type of job. Getting back to the, to the kids and, and school and should it open and, and the schedules. The elementary school, my, my two youngest, I'm not too concerned with because they stay in the same classroom for the most part the entire day. My daughter, who's attending middle school, she's going to be switching classes, which really doesn't make sense to me because if you want to limit the amount of exposure to all the kids that are going to be coming and going in the school, even the teachers, instead of having the kids switch classrooms, just have the teacher, it's one person, switch classrooms. So the kids remain at their desk. So that's their workspace the whole day. New teacher comes in, takes the wipes or whatever she's giving or brings in, sanitizes the desk that she's going to be working off of, and it's one person. It's not hundreds of kids that now you have to worry about. Kids go walk in in the morning, go to their classroom. That's the classroom they're going to stay in. I mean, yeah. what, what, what? they do it in elementary school. Why not go back to elementary school model? Teacher, but rotate the teacher in and out. What did you do when you were in middle school? Did you rotate classrooms or did you stay in the same classroom? We rotated class, but everybody, you know, high-fiving and, and giving each other noogies in the hall and slamming each other into the lockers, you know. There's the hall. What did you crowded. do in middle school? <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> the, the halls get crowded, but I, I, I'm sure there's a plan in place so that the, the halls aren't crowded and, and, and each, each class changes at a certain time. But I think what makes sense to me is have the teacher rotate. Don't rotate the kids from 8 to 4, 8 to 12. I mean, nine teachers got to rotate. And I don't know when this changed, but so the elementary schools go through fifth now. They used to go through sixth previously. Correct. Yes, fifth. I, I mean, our elementary yeah. school. I don't know. I don't know about anywhere else. No, no, no. So I grew up in this town, right? I decided to move back. So they used to go through sixth. 
But oh, I think okay. when they built that new middle school, and I don't know how long ago it was, but 20 years ago or whatever, they moved that sixth grade into the middle school too, because they had a, a new school to kind of facilitate the additional kids. I think from our perspective, I don't think there's a clear cut solution for the new school year. I think the new school year is going to be difficult. I think it's going to require patience from parents, companies, teachers, superintendents, principals. I think people are frustrated. We've all been home since mid-March. There is no one solution that is going to satisfy all parties. I agree. You got teachers that are concerned, rightfully so. You have principals that are concerned, rightfully so. You got superintendents that are concerned, rightfully so. You got parents that are concerned because we're coming into another school year and maybe the parents have been telling their, the, the company they've been working for, yeah, my kids are going back to school. I opted for them to go back to school and come the first day of school, we're going all virtual. Or you know, a couple of days before school, we're all going virtual. What, is, what happens? So there's not gonna be one solution that's gonna satisfy all parties. It's not an easy situation or time period that the board of ed, any board of education right now is in, especially because the onus has been put on them to decide whether or not we're going back full Which time. Which is bullshit. I think the governor should yeah, pass the make the decision. Pass the buck. And I get it. Our state, listen, we, we're in New Jersey. Our state's not that big. There's a difference in breakouts, obviously, across the counties. But at the same point, the governor could have made the decision that, hey, the whole state is going to do one thing, or we're going to do it county by county, or, you know, we're going to go through by district and, and deal with it. But he didn't want to do that. He felt the school, you know, the districts were more appropriately aware yeah, of the situations. If he, if he would have went district by district and said, okay, the town that we live in hasn't had a confirmed, a presumptive positive case in the last month, hasn't had a death in the last month. Okay, your town, you're good to go, full bore, full open. Teachers are going to be like, holy crap, what the hell is going on here? And in other towns, other towns are going to be like, well, why'd you give them permission to go full time? Why but I can't think, we go full time? Yeah, but I think if they had gone town by town, they would have gone with, hey, here's the criteria to open 100%. Here's the criteria to open 50%. Here's the criteria to open this percent. And this is how you're going to move forward. And if you hit this, if you're 100% criteria, everyone's going back to school full time. If you're 50%, this is what you have to do. Here's the mandates that have to be taken into place. Is it an AM or PM release? Whatever you want to do. I know we had five options when they took our opinion into consideration within our district. But I would think at a state level, they have the ability of consulting experts that can help devise a plan. I don't know how you leave it up to district by district. It blows my mind. This guy's getting paid. The Board of Ed members, to my understanding, don't get paid in a lot of these districts. They don't. No, they so, don't how can you leave it up to a bunch of volunteers when this asshole is getting paid a considerable amount of money to manage the fucking state and he's not doing anything about it. So it, it's a little frustrating. And I know this may not be a popular opinion. I think he's doing the best job he can, but I think he really fucked this up this piece. I think he's done the best job he can for the state up to this point. But I think giving the authority to the districts was the wrong decision. I think he should have, how the decision he should have taken ownership of it 
And if he needed to meet with each and every district, each and every city, town within New Jersey to get an effective plan in place, he should have done it. And I just think he's punting on it. I agree. I think he punted. Um, I think that he is in a, in a situation where every decision he makes, he's got people high-fiving him saying, hey, dude, that's a great decision. All right, you're doing a great job. And then there's the group of people that say, what the fuck are you doing? You're destroying our state. If you ask the two guys that owns the gym down in South Jersey, they're probably going to say, dude, you're a fucking Yeah, so... Shit. I, well, they lost their business license, from what I understand. Last yeah, thing I did. heard from those two yep, guys. They did. So, but but Tiggins, which sucks because they were probably you know in their in their mind they were doing the right thing. They were it was their livelihood, and the town even screwed them. So it's not even the state. But the other thing is, think about this: we're sending our kids back to school, but we can't open restaurants. We can't send in a restaurant. How bullshit is that? Talk to the small restaurant owners who can only do outside eating. If this continues, these small time businesses are not gonna survive the winter. None of them will, not a single one. So you are essentially cutting the economy out, all the, all the restaurants out. And, and in the same breath is crying that the state is going broke. <laughs> yeah. You're crying the state is going broke. You're not allowing businesses to open up and operate. But here's, the casinos are open. You know that, right? I didn't know that. There's dividers. I haven't been there, but this is what I've heard. There's dividers and seat partitions and shit like that. You can't eat anywhere. You can only eat outside, but it's open and you can stay there. Road trip, podcast at one of the casinos in South Jersey. At the end of the day, it's, it's the inconsistency that bothers me. That is the my biggest gripe is the inconsistency. And I, I believe I speak for a lot of people that it's the inconsistency. One week, it's one thing. Next week is, is another thing. Masks are good. Masks are no good. The inconsistency is what bothers me. Listen, he's only going based off of the information he's being fed. So I By think masks are definitely, are definitely required. But I think the piece that pisses me off is how can sending our kids back to school be okay? Having the inability to eat within a restaurant. If a restaurant follows certain protocols, that just blows my mind. And you can have a yoga studio open, however many sessions they're doing with the amount of people there. But I think at the end of the day, it is the right move to send the kids back to school as long as your districts, your areas are not seeing outbreaks. I think as soon as a town or a district sees an outbreak, everything's going to change. Uh, as, soon as, as soon as any town or any school gets two cases of COVID or even one, Panic is going to set in. We're going to go all virtual. Some kid comes to school. He's got the sniffles or whatever he's got. Gets sent home. Okay. We don't know what it is. Are we going to quarantine for 14 days? Everybody's got to stay home virtual 14 days until this kid, little Johnny or little Timmy, gets tested. The test comes back. Okay, negative. All right, now let's go back to school. So this is, it, 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 I don't know, man. Those are the scenarios that they have to play out. Is it, is it worth putting in this entire effort to get to the point where we're going back to school in person to only have, I mean, don't forget, flu season's right around the corner, to only have someone show up sick, and then what do we do? Okay, kid comes in sick. Okay, everybody stay home 14 days. And then we go back, 
after the 14-day quarantine because little Timmy is fine. Day 16, someone else comes in and they got the sniffles. Okay, now we got everyone's got to go back virtual again because uh, Sasha tested uh, negative. So now let's do another 14 days. It's these are the tough decisions that our districts are facing right now. And I tell you right now, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes because whatever decision they make is not going to be the right one in someone's eyes. And they are going to get hate mail. I feel bad for them. I really do. All right. So I think we've talked about this and I think we could probably do a whole nother episode talking about this. Before we do the dad lesson, anyone listening, we'd like to know your thoughts about the whole uh, going back to school COVID. Uh, shoot, us, uh, shoot us an email or uh, hit us up on, one or, on Facebook. Let us know what, what your thoughts are. Uh, are you sending your kids back to school? Uh, how's your, your school district doing it? Um, we'd like to know what you guys think. So for dad lesson number, where are we? Eight? Eight. Number eight. So annual physicals are just are not just for the kids. Remember, your family relies on you, dads and moms. So get your fucking asses to the doctor. <laughs> and for men, they don't stick anything up your ass until you're 50. I heard it's right. 40 now. Well, I wouldn't know because, I, no, it's not 40. It's definitely It 40. can't be 40. It better not be 40. Let's turn 40. Oh, yeah. Sounds like it's 40. So I'll go to the doctor. Hey, you supposed to strap something on my ass? <laughs> no, why? You want me to? That's what he's nope. going to say. Nope, nope, nope. So it is very important. The earlier you get things detected, the more likely they are to be resolved. Now that we got the serious piece of this whole episode out of the way. We're tasting earlier. Blade and Bow. Blade and Bow is distilled by the Stitzel Weller Distillery Company. So at this current time, we are going to take a brief break, gather our thoughts and our notes, and come back with our, our rating for Blade and Bow. So uh, sit tight, and we'll be right back. Brought to you by these messages. So the alcohol classification of Blade and Bow is a Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. The distillery is Stitzel and Weller. Blade and Bow is produced at the original site of the iconic Stitzel Weller Distillery in Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> the original distillery closed its doors in 1992 and Diageo reopened the facility in 2014. In regards to the origins of Blade and Bow name, it represents two, the two parts of a skeleton key, the blade shaft and the ornate bow. Diageo states that the Blade and Bow brand is a tribute to the five keys that once hung on the door of the Stitzel Weller Distillery, which stands for the five steps of making bourbon, grains, yeast, fermentation, distillation, and aging. So the proof is 91 proof, which again is not bottled and bond. So for all you listeners out there, bottled and bond is what? 100 proof. 100 proof. Uh, the age is interesting. So this is something we learned on this um, episode is that their aging process is something that's called Solera aging system. It allows that no one barrel will ever be empty because they keep older bourbon in the barrel and distill it and route it across the barrels as the new bourbon is poured in or the new liquor is poured in, the older bourbon's there. So essentially mixes with the older bourbon. So the interesting part of that is you don't know actually how old Blade and Bow actually is. So I thought that was a little bit interesting. 
and the first time I've heard something like that. So it's definitely something we're going to probably do a little bit more research on is, does anybody else do Solera aging system? First time I've heard about it. So we kind of prepped these notes evening, a couple hours ago. So we need to do some more digging on that. The mash bill is unknown. It's not listed on their website. The color is a deep amber. The price point is about 55. We've seen it between 50 to $60. Don't get ripped off. Don't pay $100 for this bourbon. It is a 50 to $60 bourbon. So the aroma, it's sweet with a little spiciness, but the tasting, I'll retaste it. Just to wet my palate again, give me a second. It has a very, very mild burn, which is interesting for a bourbon. It's very, very mild. It definitely has a sweetness factor. So there's Buffalo Trace, like I talked about last episode. This is probably one of the sweeter bourbons I've had. And if you look at their bottle, they talk about um, toasted cereal and vanilla and a dried fruits. The bottle is very interesting, and I'm sorry I didn't talk about this earlier. It is a much different bottle. It is circular. How many sizes does it have, Sal? Is it an oct? Is it eight? Two, four, six, seven sides? Seven sides. So seven-sided bottle. It comes with a key on it. So most of these bottles comes with a key. Six sides. Six sides. So each, you sure? You want to count again? One, two, three, four, five, six. Six sides. Okay. So the six sides. And then on each side, there's actually, and Sal pointed this out, there's a, there's a little note on each side. And there's five keys that come with the blade and bow. So you have to collect the five keys and you can actually sign up and say, Hey, I'm a collector of all five keys on the website, but on the bottle, actually each side with the exception of the sixth side has a key. So it goes one key, two key, three key, four key, five key. And underneath one, each one of those keys is a little note about the blade and bow brand and bottle. The other thing we learned tonight is blade and bow. While this is the bourbon we're reviewing, has a sister or brother bourbon, which is a 22-year-aged bourbon, which I'm actually curious if that actually goes through the Solera aging system. I highly doubt it because it states it's a 22-year age, which is a very long life cycle, and I'm curious of the ROI on that. But that's a very long cycle for an aging of a bourbon. I haven't seen it, and it's a very limited release based on what we read. We've never seen it anywhere. We only found it on their site. So Sal, I'm going to give you the option. Do I give my rating now or do I wait until you talk about the aroma and the tasting that? I guess I could talk about the aroma and the tasting. Okay. The aroma, <clears throat> the aroma is uh, light peach and light oak. Uh, that's what I get. As far as the tasting, get the oak taste, the vanilla, and a slight fruitiness. And just so everybody knows, we are tasting the Blade & Bow neat. No ice balls, no top shelf ice balls. So most of our tastings will be doing neat because it doesn't dilute the, the taste. And I think most of the ones we've done up to this point have been neat, if I'm not mistaken. No, I think we've done a couple with some balls. Well, the, the second glass so was, was with balls. Yes. So I'm going to have to give the Blade & Bow a 5.7. Wow, you, you deviated from the half and the full to a 0.7. Interesting. Yes, yes. I give it a 5.7. That's um, funny. I like it. It's an easy sipper. It's a smooth bourbon. Um, 
it's it's getting up there with with some of the other bourbons I enjoy drinking, but I'm giving this a five point seven. In the last episode, I gave Buffalo Trace a seven point five, and a lot of what I gave Buffalo Trace, Buffalo Trace is a relatively cheap bourbon, and it has a very nice taste to it. So I think the combination of price and taste came into play for me. And that is why I ranked it so high because I feel like it's an affordable bourbon that gives you a good return on your investment. As a collector of bourbon, which I now deem myself because <laughs> I have a sufficient amount of bourbon. I think from a pure tasting standpoint, I do like Blade & Bow better. So I think if we, if you take price out, which ideally probably should be the case um, most of the time, but I felt like there are very few $30 bourbons that I would keep in my cabinet on a regular basis, and I felt Buffalo Trace warranted that rating. I feel like Bleed and Bow, and granted, I like sweet bourbons. I think I'm going to give it the 8.0. I think I'm going to give it a full 8.0. 8.0. I, th- I was wow. wavering on 7.9, but I was like, listen, it has that half a point up on, on Buffalo Trace. It is a, is a, it is a nice, smooth um, sipping bourbon. I think it's, uh, you don't have to do the ice over ice. Uh, I think it's smooth enough where you can enjoy it neat. I do enjoy my bourbon neat, uh, depending on the proof. Uh, when you get to like a, uh, I think it's a Booker's, Cookers is like 126 proof. That's a little that's, that's, you know, that's a little fire there. So, uh, you know, when, you, when, you, when I get up in that, that type of typically throwing an ice cube or two. Um, but it, the Blade & Bow, I'm going to say, is a nice, easy drinking bourbon. Nice, smooth sipper. Uh, pair it nice with a, with a Partagas. I think it's fair. I, I think for me... I was thinking back to when we did Buffalo Trace. This burn is a lot less. Even the burn from, and, and I talked about this in, when we talked about Buffalo Trace, the burn for Buffalo Trace was, you could feel it burn all the way down. This, there, there's a slight tinge. It's not, this is a very, very sweet bourbon. It's, again, it's not for everyone because not everyone loves sweet bourbons, but, and some people enjoy the burn. It, it, for me, the burn is, shouldn't be the, predominant factor of the bourbon the taste should come out the different flavors should come out i in at the beginning of the episode we actually poured out our bourbons to let them open up a little bit and that's another kind of trick is you want them to open it up some people feel that this dropping what is it a um medicine dropper yeah medicine dropper distilled water opens up the bourbon too to test your own palate for everybody that's listening pour yourself a glass of bourbon neat Soon as you pour, take a sip. Wait five minutes, take another sip. You'll see as 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 you continue to wait, and, and you know, wait five minutes, another five minutes, another five minutes, the complexity of the, the bourbon will change. The flavor of the bourbon will change. Once it, it's exposed to air, you'll see that it, the flavors start coming out. And that's how I like to enjoy my bourbon. All right, I think that wraps it up with the bourbon review. Thank you everybody for listening. Be sure to tune into our next episode, which we talk about eating together as a family. If you like what you heard, smash that 
like or subscribe button. You can find us on Instagram, Podbean, every social media outlet you possibly can think of, Pandora, Google Play, Facebook, Instagram, Chromecast, Google Cast, uh, your sister's ass, um, YouTube. So we do publish to a lot of different places. We are on Twitter, uh, Instagram, obviously we don't publish there, but we do post there and we will become start becoming more and more active. We have an active Facebook page and we are on Podbeam is where we host our podcast through. Hit us up for emails or likes or subscriptions. Um, I think that wraps it up for tonight.